Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ. We pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging. Thank you for listening. Okay, Vintage Faith, hello. Our scripture reading this morning is coming from the first book of the Bible. We're looking at Genesis. Reading Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Sheshem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So if you were with us last week, you know we've entered into a new sermon series. Uh, We're out of the parables And we're in this sermon series, it's called The Promise Plan of God. And what we're going to be doing right up until Easter is just tracing this promise that God made to Adam and Eve in the garden about the offspring that would come and roll back the curse and crush crush the head of the offspring of the serpent. And, And we... We kind of looked at that in the early chapters of Genesis, and we're going to pick up in the early chapters of Genesis, and we're going to be looking at Abraham today. Actually, the next two weeks, we're going to look at Abraham um, and how that promise played out in the life of Abraham um, and what that means for us. So if you remember from last week, we we had this promise, this promise of an offspring or a seed. It's, it's, It's the promise of a son. It's the promise of a Messiah that's right there in Genesis 3. And we, we looked at um, Eve after they were exiled, after they were out of the garden, and, and Eve is kind of hopefully looking for, oh, is, is this Cain, my son, is he, is he the one? And, and we know Cain wasn't the one because Cain murders his brother Abel. So we know Cain's not the one. And then later on down in Genesis 4, we have Seth being born, and Eve is, oh, is he... Is he the one? And and we see actually when Seth is born, all of a sudden Genesis is going to pivot and it's going to do a genealogy of Seth. And and again, we said this last week, but when you see genealogies in the Bible, they're they're tracing the same idea that we're going to be talking about for the next six weeks or or five weeks now. And, And it's the seed of Eve, the offspring of the woman, Jesus Christ. The promise. Um, we got to Genesis 5, and it, <clears throat> if you remember, Noah, uh, when Noah is born, his father is like, is he the one? And, and he even gives a little more information. Uh, Lamech, Noah's father, says, is Noah going to be the one that's going to free us from this toil? And that's language of curse from Genesis 3.15. Is, is Noah the one? Is he the one that's going to roll back the curse, but we, uh, we'll see here in Genesis 9, 20 to 23. By the way, I note nothing on the screen today, so old school, if you have a Bible, grab it. If, if your Bible's on your phone, 
pull your phone out. Um, if you just want to listen, you, that, that's, that's fine too. But every once in a while, I uh, like to switch it up and, and get off the, uh, the crack that is the screen. Although I'm telling you to go to another screen, so that, that's not, <clears throat> it's maybe not so great. But if you have a Bible, go to Genesis, Genesis chapter 9. We're going to pick it up in verse 20. So again, maybe Noah's the one. Maybe Noah. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, Ham, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Excuse me. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their, their father's nakedness. So this scene in Genesis should bring you back to Genesis 3. Here again, we have a garden. We also have fruit. We have now Noah partaking in the fruit of the garden in a way that is sinful. He gets drunk. And we have nakedness and shame. All the things you had. So we, this is, you know, God, re, he judges the world with a flood. It looks like a restart. Maybe it's going to restart with Noah. Maybe Noah is the Messiah. And right away, Noah's drunk, naked, ashamed, in a garden. This is just God showing us this is not going to happen by men. It continues in verse 24, When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done, he said to him, had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. So a few things happening here for, for the narrative of this promise that we got to take into account. Number one, Canaan is cursed for doing what he did. Now, that should kind of get you thinking, oh, huh, Canaan, um, where is the promised land going to be? Canaan. And who is Israel's biggest problem when they get into the promised land? Canaanites. So here we have, we're, we're following the story of the Bible, and this is what uh, the young kids might call an Easter egg. It's, um, it's something that is intentional. It's there. We should be tracking with it. Like, oh, wait, cursed be Canaan. Because Moses wrote Genesis, and, and Moses is going to write the rest of the story, and we're going to see what happens with the Canaanites. But let me draw your attention not so much to the Canaanites, but back to Shem, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. So something is going on here. Something with the promise is going on with Shem. Because all of a sudden we're going to get, if you're in your Bible and, and you go to Genesis 11, go to Genesis 11, you're going to see the same thing that happened with Seth now happen with Shem. Though the, 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 the word of God is going to now trace a line through Shem. And we see that Shem is blessed. Genesis 11.10, we're not going to read all of this, but these are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachshad two years after the flood. And then on and on it goes. These are the generations of Shem. And it's going to keep going, and I'll pick it up in verse 24. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Abram, Abraham. So for all, for all purposes here, every time... 
I'm going to use the word Abraham unless I'm reading scripture. Um, you're just going to hear me. Ab- Abram's name is eventually changed. But uh, the line of Shem goes down, and where does it land? Right on Abraham. Right on Abraham. So that's why we're going to be looking at Abraham for two weeks, because Abraham is a very important character in the Bible. To understand much of the biblical narrative, we have to understand Abraham. In fact, Genesis 12 through, through 50, so however many, if you guys know math, how many chapters is that? That's a lot. A lot of chapters. 12 all the way to 50 deal with Abraham and his family. All about Abraham. There's a lot of content in the Bible about Abraham. In fact, the New Testament mentions Abraham 76 times. Abraham is front and center in the Word of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about Abraham. Now we come to the 12th chapter in the book of Genesis. In many ways, this is, of course, one of the most important points in the history of the entire human race. It is part of the same plan that God had announced way back in the Garden of Eden. He made the announcement that there would be warfare between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. He announced it, and it has happened ever since. But here we come to a vital turning point. The story of Abraham is absolutely pivotal pivotal in understanding the whole message of the Bible. So if you are hearing about Abraham for for the first time, and and most of us have heard Abraham, but if you don't know a lot about him, I would just um, encourage you, read this week, Genesis 12 to 50. It's a great, and if you want to, you can start in Genesis 1, but if you don't want to read the whole thing, 12 to 50, it's a great story. It's a narrative. Um, The same thing you're dealing with in this life, Abraham was dealing with in his life. The same things. The only difference is we got iPhones, TVs, trains, planes, automobiles. We just move faster. And in many ways, it's just dumber, right? We, we move so fast that we're not absorbing and, and really um, thinking about things. Um, but life has not changed. People are still friendships, marriages, eating, drinking. Sorrow, love, hate, same thing. Life hasn't changed. And you see that all in the pages of, of, of the Bible, but you see it um, front and center in Abraham's life. So I would definitely encourage you uh, to read that. So before we get into our text today, I want to jump to the New Testament um, and show, show you something. Matthew 1, 1 to 2. So here is the, the first book of the New Testament. The first verse of the New Testament. And what do we have? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Again, tracing this. Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman. This is the seed. This is the offspring. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. So right from the get-go, the New Testament is drawing all of our minds back to Abraham and David. And we're going to have a week on David here. But right from the get-go, Matthew is saying, let let me tell you about the seed. Let's talk about Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman. Oh yeah, by the way, Abraham. Abraham is pivotal, pivotal in the story. And we have to ask, why? And that's what we're going to look at today. Why is Abraham so pivotal in this story? And next week, we're going to look at Abraham again, a different aspect, the the sacrifice of of Isaac next week. Um, And both of these weeks are going to play into ultimately where we are going with the sermon series, which is the crucifixion and the resurrection 
and how both of those events are part of the promise that God made in the Old Testament. If you remember last week, I read a part of a quote from a popular author, and I'm going to read a part of it this week. Um, Unhitching the Old Testament from the New is liberating for men and women who are drawn to the simple message that God loves you so much. He sent his son to pave the way to a relationship with you. And, And we looked at last week that there's a problem with that. There's a big problem with that. That's really the message that the world wants to hear. God loves you. Go ahead in your sin. Just keep, keep walking. God loves you. You're, you're special. The problem with that is we just read Matthew 1, 1 to 2. The, the, the whole message of God coming to this world in with his son, incarnation, cross, resurrection, the whole thing is tied to the Old Testament. If there's anyone in here that, that, that got into the Avengers movies, um, I know those hit right around the time that my kids were like the perfect age, so our family loves the Avengers movies. And there's backstories and there's stories, and, and you can watch the Avengers, but if you don't know the origin stories, you'll get it, but you won't love it. And that's a small doesn't even compare to how you understand the Bible. If you're going to read the New Testament with no Old Testament, you're going to just be confused. You're going to kind of import your own ideas into it. You're going to look around at the the current world and say, okay, how does this fit? But it, it, it fits because this was a promise made thousands of years ago in the garden. We can't be embarrassed by the Old Testament because it doesn't fit our inclusivity standards. And that's a, a popular thought these days is, well, there's just too much in there that's embarrassing. I, I, I'll, I'll detach from that. But the problem is when we do that, we make the New Testament say something it's not saying. We, you know, we get a, a hippie Jesus Ah, God just loves you. Or, you know, the, the self-esteem movement gets imported into to Christ. And, and that's not what's going on here. We are talking about the fulfillment of a promise made at, in the beginning of time as we know it and has been unfolding over time. And then finally, he is here. And that, that is something very, very different. Um, but you can't get there without the Old Testament. So... All right, Abraham in the New Testament, Galatians 3, 6 to 7. You're going to find, again, Abraham in, all, in, in most of the New Testament books. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So if you have faith in Christ, not some faith in whatever like the world likes to call it. I'm talking about faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, as Messiah, that he died for you and your sins on that cross and rose so you one day will rise with him. If you have that type of faith, you and I are what the Bible would call sons and daughters of Abraham. Sons and daughters of Abraham. We're going to look at an interaction at the end of the sermon that Jesus has with the Pharisees, and and he gets into that. But here's my my question to you, my my challenge and, and, and encouragement. If you have faith and you call yourself a Christian, and Abraham is that prominent in the Bible, shouldn't you, shouldn't I understand what type of life this man lived. If he was a man of faith, the Bible calls Abraham a friend of God. He was the man of faith. You just go into Romans, go into Galatians, go into Hebrews. There's so much commended about this man. He's one of the heroes of the Bible, but when we look at his life, we see he's a lot like us. He made mistakes. 
he wavered in his faith, and the Bible ultimately says he didn't waver. That You've got to try to figure that out, because we waver in our faith. It should be an encouragement to us. My faith feels weak today. Well, look at, look at Abraham. He had some moments. But ultimately, God looks back on Abraham's life, and he said this man didn't waver. His whole trajectory of his life was a life of faith. Even more than the story of Abraham, we have to look at Galatians 3, 8 to 9. This is another reason we need to understand the life of Abraham. Galatians 3, 8 to 9, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, all of us, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Okay, so stop here for a moment. Paul is saying that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. That's something we got to wrestle with. Saying, so here is what he's calling the gospel. In you shall all the nations be blessed. Done. That's the gospel. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So, so again, Paul is doing something here that we really need to, to be thinking like, wait, he just called the gospel, in you all the nations shall be blessed. What do we do with that? You, you're probably thinking, how, how is this the gospel? And what we're going to look at today is this is just the unfolding of the promise. Remember last week we were talking about Genesis 3.15 and, and I, I said something um, of a statement like this is the most unclear you will see the promise in Genesis 3.15. Like I, I knew as I was explaining it, I could see people scratching their heads and it's like, okay, is it really saying that? And you're going to wrestle with it. But here's how the Bible unfolds. The promise gets clearer and clearer as the Bible progresses. We have the look back of it all. We can see it all, but they didn't see it all. They just had this promise. There's a Messiah coming, and this death and pain and toil, he's going to roll it back. He's going to take it all away. This, this realm that Satan is over right now and this evil that we see in people and the wars and all of it, it's going to be rolled back. And that's what their faith was in. That's what our faith is in. We're still waiting for the same thing that they were waiting for. We just have a lot more clarity in it. So how is this the gospel? We're going to look at that. And then the other question that, that I'm going to press on you is, how do we respond to the gospel like Abraham responded? How do we respond as Abraham responded? All right, so if you have your Bibles or you're in or on a phone, go to Genesis 12. We're going to be spending most of our time here. Now we'll be a little jumping around. All right, Genesis 12, 1. So this is... The call of Abraham, this is a major shift in the story, in the narrative of Genesis. Um, and again, think about it in relation to the seed that was promised or the offspring that was promised. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So we know that Abraham lived in, in a pagan land. He lived in a, in a land filled with idolatry, a, a, an anti-God land, not much different than where we all live, a land that was against the purposes of God, just like today when we, we look around in our land, we see um, marriage being attacked, gender 
being attacked. These are things that God made. These are things that God called good. And we're seeing those things being attacked. We have ways to deal with race sometimes that are anti-godly, that are not the, the godly way to deal with race. We see the unborn being murdered. We live in an anti-God pagan land, just like Abraham lived in an anti-God pagan land. This week I, I was traveling and uh, ended up in, in Chicago. And sometimes just getting out of your own city or where you live and getting into another city, you see things that, that maybe you're not normally picking up on. And one of the things, we were in the heart of downtown Chicago and, um, you know, with, with a bunch of people. And, and one of the things that struck me was just the, the, the anti-God nature of things that were just on, on windows and billboards and and, and every, it, was, it was everywhere. I mean, I know that didn't surprise me. Like, oh, whoa, this is surprising. I mean, I know it's out there. I, I, I have Twitter and I read the news and, and watch the news. I, I know it's out there. But it was just striking to me. Like, wow, these, these signs, these messages are against the Lord who created them. You and I are not that different than Abraham. We live in a pagan culture and, and, and a culture that, that is against God. And I know for some of you, that, that is, maybe that rubs you wrong, that statement, but that is the truth. That is what the Bible says. It's not going to be into the new heavens and the new earth and the coming of Christ that all of that stuff will be judged and rolled back. But Abram gets a call from God in the midst of his life. And that call simply is, Go. Leave. Go. Go out of this land, and I'll show you where you're going, but you're not going to know quite yet. And I would submit to you that that's the call of the gospel in your life, in my life, in every Christian's life. We aren't going. That's a metaphor. We stay put. There's but. You and I, through the gospel, are called to leave our old life behind. We're called to leave it. That's what the Bible calls repentance. But we're called to leave it. And we're, we're called to leave it, and we don't quite know where we're headed when we do. So I would ask you this, this morning, and if you claim to be a follower uh, of Jesus... Have you left your old life or are you trying to, do you have a bunch of luggage with you? You know, do you have the backpack on and, and maybe you're, you know, again, I just traveled and you got your, your rolly little thing with your, your luggage in it. Are you trying to live this life as a Christian pilgrim with all of your old life weighing you down? It doesn't work like that, friends. You'll be miserable like that. God's calling us to leave that behind, to unburden, and to follow him. And it's an exciting life when you do that. But when you try to bring it all with you and, and live that life of sin and, and whatever it is that, that's bringing you down and follow the Lord, you're just not going to be, you're going to be miserable. I've often called that just sitting on the fence as a Christian. You're on the fence, you're kind of, you know, wavering, and that's just a miserable place to be on the fence. Another quote from uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher from <clears throat> the early 1900s. He says this, God spoke to Abraham. God disturbed him. God called him out. That is always invariably the first step. Go right through the Bible and you will find it everywhere. Read it in the New Testament as well as the Old. Pick up any biography of any saint who has ever lived. You will find them all saying the same thing in some shape or form. I was living my life doing the same things as everyone else. When suddenly or gradually I became conscious of something that was disturbing me. And that's 
Everyone who knows the Lord in here, you've got a story. Maybe it was suddenly, maybe it was, maybe it's happening right now. Maybe it's a slow, like you're just being disturbed. That is the Lord calling you. And he's saying, come out, come out. He's got something better for you. And I would ask you, are you you being disturbed? Have you been disturbed? Do you even know what that, does that, do you have a category for that in your life? Or is it just like, I don't know what this guy is talking about. And if you don't, pray to God that that you do. Because if you haven't been disturbed, you haven't heard the call of God. Just ask, is this you right now? Is God calling you out of a God-dishonoring life and beckoning you to follow him to a better life? And if that is you, what is stopping you from obeying? What is in your way? What are you thinking like, no, I don't want to give this one thing up? Because when we looked at Abraham, he left it all. He left it. God said, come, and he went. We're going to look at that. He followed. He he did not stay. He left. And he tells him, go to the land that I will show you. All right, so the narrative continues. If you, you have your Bible, Genesis 12, I'll pick it back up from the beginning. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And here's the blessing. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is what Paul is calling the gospel. And we're going to look at this as the gospel and then look, about, look at it um, how, it, how it bears down on us. But first, we're going to see next week, but I will make you a great nation, many offspring. Abraham has promised many offspring. He will, there will be a nation. At some point in the narrative in Genesis, it says kings will come from you. Kings. And this should again, Easter egg, we should be thinking that the king Jesus will eventually come from Abraham. So this, this nation is going to imply there needs to be land. And we're going to see that as we look at David and Israel. The promise just keeps getting bigger. Oh, wait, there's going to be land. There's going to be a king. There's going to be, you know, borders. There's going to be a temple. And then, the, you know, all the way on to the New Testament. So um, I will make you a great nation. Here's something interesting. He, he tells them, you will be blessed with a great name. And if we think, if you've read Genesis and, and you, you know anything about the story, just a chapter back, we have the Tower of Babel. What were they trying to do at the Tower of Babel? Make their name great. And they were judged for it. Remember, they're like, hey, we're going to build a tower to the sky because we want to make our name great. And And God judges that, scatters them, and then he calls a man called Abraham and said, I will make your name great. And I would submit to you that that concept is all throughout the word of God. This is what Jesus, in the New Testament, when it says, humble yourself, and it means before the Lord, humble yourself, and you will be exalted. Exalt yourself, and you will be humbled. And we see it right right here, Tower of Babel. They were exalting themselves. God humbles them, and then by grace, God says, Abraham, you're mine. I'm going to make your name great. By nothing that you have done, only because I am a good God, I will make your name great. And then finally, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. This is, this is the gospel. This is why we're all here today worshiping the Lord and we're not Jewish. 
were because Abraham had faith, God chose him, and he gave him this promise that all the nations on the earth are going to be blessed through you and through your seed. And at some point, Paul says that seed is Jesus Christ, and that's why we're here today. That's why we can worship the Lord. This is the gospel. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts says this, Acts 13, 32 to 33, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, so he's talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we bring you the good news. So Paul's preaching the gospel as you and I know it, but he calls it the good news that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. We bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So there's the apostle just calling the gospel. Oh, this is the same promise that was made to Abraham, same promise made to Isaac, Jacob, this promise of a great nation and a blessing to the world. God called Abraham out of the land in a life of idolatry, but he called him to something, not just out. He called him into something. And God calls you through the gospel and me through the gospel out of our life of idolatry, and he calls us to something, into something, into something blessed. And if you haven't responded to the gospel, you won't quite see that. If you know him and you have walked with him for any length of time, you certainly see it. But from the outside, it's very hard to see. Is God calling you today? The call demands a response. You can't be passive. It demands a response. Genesis 12, 4, the beginning of 4, what, when Abram got this call, it doesn't say that Abram deliberated, doesn't say that Abram went and checked all his sources and wanted to see if this was the true God. It said, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Abraham heard the voice of God and he responded. And he responded. And I would just ask you this morning, are you hearing that call? Has he disturbed you? Is he disturbing you? Part of that disturbance is going to come on a Sunday morning, and you're going to hear me, and I'm going to be unpacking the Scripture, and you're going to say, I don't like that. <laughs> and, and maybe you say, I don't like Pastor Anthony, but I would just say, it's the Word of God that's disturbing you. It's not me. I mean, I could be disturbing you in another way. That's, that's possible. But I'm, often, when people are disturbed, it's his word is bearing down on your heart and your mind, and it's saying, you've thought about this your whole life this way, but that's wrong, and this is the way you've got to think about it. That's what the word of God does to us. And that is disturbing. And if you haven't in some way been disturbed by it, you haven't heard the call of God, the true call of God is disturbing in that way. Even when you walk with him for a while, you're going to walk, and if you're in the Word, you're going to read it, and you're going to be like, I don't like what that says. I don't like that. That, that, that hurts. That, I, I, don't, I don't like it. And, and that's the normal part of being a Christian. That's what it means to submit to the Word. We live our lives, and we live them under the Word of God instead of over the Word of God where we, we try to play God. All right, so Abraham heard the call, and he went. He left. Hebrews 11, 8 to 10 says this, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So by faith, Abraham obeyed. And he went out, not knowing where he was going, so again, he was called and he didn't know where he was going, right? Don't we all want to know? Like, God, tell me what you have for me. We all do that. I do it all the time. I can, my wife can attest. I drive her crazy. But the reality is he says, take that step right there. 
one step. I'll light your path, but I'm not going to light the whole path. I'm going to light that step. Take it. And I would also say, if you're not following the word, if you're in some kind of sin that is against God and God's word, you're, you're not going to even see the path. Because his first thing that he wants for you is for you follow him. Then maybe you have a shot at seeing what he has for you. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. It was never about Israel, Palestine. It was never about that. We see it right here in Hebrews. What was Abraham looking forward to? The city of God. The city that he knew was indestructible. Abraham knew. Noah knew. Lamech knew. Eve, Adam, they knew. We're not looking for a better life now. We need death sin, all of this to be rolled back because we know there was a time when it didn't exist. Abraham was not looking just to the promised land. He was looking to the land beyond it, and so should we. A quote from an author that that I love uh, says this, Abraham pioneered the great venture of living by faith leaving what he knew and possessed for what he believed and expected in God. Here are a people who roam the desert, their life histories saturated with God. It was a life struggling for existence, full of agonizing doubts and painful disciplines. It was also an invigorating existence, packed with meaning and taught with purpose. There was suffering and there was blessing, but most of all, there was vitality. They were alive at every level. Out of the deepest dimension of their beings, extraordinary expressions of humanity blossomed into acts of worship and acts of faith. What he's saying is faith isn't easy. We still suffer. We still have doubts. And when you respond to God's call, you're leaving Comfort, control, in our own little worlds that we've managed to live in very nicely, you you leave that behind and you open yourself up to some things that you didn't quite open yourself up to before because there is a spiritual war between the seed of, of Eve, which are God's people, and the seed of Satan. And that war is playing out in the heavenly realms, and I know that sounds extraordinary, but that's what the Bible says. So when you follow Christ, things, things change, and God leads you, and, and he leads you in the places where you're like, I, I don't know if I can go there or where you're leading me, but he's just saying, trust me. Trust me. That's what he wants. He wants your trust. How do, you, how do you do that today? Again, we're not Abraham. We're not called to leave. In fact, Jesus says, you're in the world. You're not going to be taken out of it. Be in it, but not of it. Well, first I would just say, have you responded to the gospel? I'm sure there's people in here that haven't. Have you heard the call? Have you left your old life behind? and said, God, I want to walk with you. You died on the cross for my sins. I believe that. Now I want to walk with you. And then I would say the next step is just follow him and obey him and watch him move. Because the life of faith is an invigorating life. You can choose the life of non-faith And you can be the God of your own little world and create your own little world. And that is going to be very, very comfortable. 
The life of faith is not. I'm up here preaching, and I told myself I would never do this ever in my life. I've told you the story. My first job that I took, I'm like, as long as I don't have to speak in public. But God said, I have different plans for you. You're going to follow me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in some situations. Follow and watch him move. He's going to bring you into metaphorically a land. And that's, that land is good. It's milk and honey. It's good. It's, it's a good land, and it's not going to be easy, but it's a good land. All right, so as we wrap up, I, I want to bring you to the book of John, and John 8 in particular. If you, if you do have a Bible and you are following along, go to John 8, and while you're going there, I'll kind of set up the scene. Jesus has been preaching and, and doing um, his thing, and uh, the religious establishment is angry at him. He's, he's disrupting uh, temple life. He's disrupting uh, the Pharisee life, the, the order of power and all that. Um, they're not happy. And Jesus is saying things like, if you knew me, you would know the Father who you speak of. But you don't know the Father who you're speaking of because you're rejecting me and, and you, you, know, you know the story. And they're saying things back to him like, Abraham is our father. Don't tell me who my father is. Abraham is our father. Again, New Testament, it's all, so much of it comes back to, to Abraham. And then we have in John 8, 44... Jesus says to them, again, he says to the good religious Jewish people, he says, you are of your father, the devil. What did he do just there? He, he calls them offspring of the serpent. Think back to Genesis 3.15. There's going to be children of the serpent, children of, of, of God, or offspring or seed, however you want to say it. And Jesus is Going back there, he's like, your father, you are of the, your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Wow. Okay. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus is bringing us back again to this promise and, in, and thinking, okay, seed of the woman, seed of uh, uh, the serpent. And he goes on and in verse 56. He does concede at one point, oh, indeed, Abraham is your father. He's your father. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, he, he tells him. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am, which is a way of saying Yahweh, I am Yahweh. So what do they do? So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So Jesus goes back to Abraham and he says, Abraham saw my day. What did Abraham see? That's somewhat of a mystery, but he saw Jesus' day. He, he had faith in the Messiah to come, the ultimate deliverer. And he says this, and what do they try to do? Kill him. Why do you think Christians are persecuted and, and killed and, and all over the globe? This is the war, the warfare, the seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent playing out just like the Bible says. Last quote here from, from Lloyd-Jones, and, and I'm going to bring you back to, to the whole sermon here, and this quote kind of sums up a lot of it. All of this is offered to us much more clearly and plainly than it was to Abraham. But Abraham saw it afar off. God told him that out of his loins, out of his seed, would come the final Messiah and deliverer, the one who would deliver the mortal blow to the serpent and all his seed. 
And in a sense, the whole history of the Old Testament is just the history of the development of this seed of Abraham right down through the centuries until at last you come to a baby born in Bethlehem. The baby is the seed of Abraham. Do you have faith in this promise, in Jesus Christ, that he was promised from Genesis? Do you have faith in Christ? It does require a response. Have you responded? Have you left? Has God disturbed you? Is God disturbing you right now? Those are not, it's not a bad thing if that's happening to you. It's not a bad thing. Wrestle with God. Abraham didn't know where he was going, and if you're being called, you don't know where you're going. But what Abraham did know, he knew who he was going with. He knew he could trust the Lord who was calling him. And if you know Jesus and, 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 and he's calling you maybe to do, do some things, and you know you can trust him. He might not be telling you where he's leading you, but you know you can trust with him. Trust him. We have Jesus' words. We know his name. We have a full picture. Abraham didn't. The, the saints of the Old Testament didn't. They had this promise, and it was, it was a promise. They knew a Messiah was coming, but you know his name. We have the story of his birth, his life, his miracles, his teaching. You have a picture of the humanity of Christ when he's in the garden, struggling, bleeding, bleeding, sweating blood, and asking the Father, please take this cup from me. We had that. They didn't. We have the cross. And we have the resurrection. We have the book of Revelation. We see the victory. We can see it. We can see it all. Oh, how sweet it is. How sweet it is to follow Jesus. We're going to sing that song here, our last song. And I just want, as we sing it, reflect on that. That, you know, Abraham and, the, and these Old Testament saints, they had a piece of the promise. You have it all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you this morning and we ask that you stir our hearts towards the promise that you've given. Um, Lord, we, we want to be like Abraham. We want to be men and women and, and children of faith who respond to your call. We want to trust you. Give us more faith, Lord. Give us more faith. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit vintagefaithcicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.